0: Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. That's good. Cheap among them. (laughs) That's actually division and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. you are and welcome to my (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness gracious welcome to my independence report my name is kevin mcdonald and we're talking today for the entire hour with and she's got an absolutely fascinating story (laughs) that that we're going to talk a great deal about she's got got a book coming out and the name of the book i love the titles i'll let you have that privilege what's the name of the title of the book
1: Hi, Kevin. Uh, name of my title, um, name of my book is called Beautiful Possibilities.
0: By Jennifer Benson. Uh, right. And it is, you know, I was reading your bio and what you sent me about about your life. And and uh, you use a particular phrase that I really like uh, when you talk about your inner self and the communication that you get. What do you call that?
1: I've been calling that my inner ding, my, my inner ding voice
0: my inner ding voice (laughs) i i love that because that inner voice took you on a worldwide tour of uh all over the place and uh, we're going to get into that but (laughs) i'd like to know when you talk about your inner ding what does that mean to you
1: well i originally got that kevin from an affirmation from louise hay Years and years ago, probably like back in the 80s, um, I discovered it. And she just, you know, you talk about this inner voice that guides your life. And you can say it's coming from a higher power. It's coming from God or whatever. But, yeah, that's where I got that years ago. And it really stuck with me. And I've I've used it ever since. And I've used it now in my book as well. And, of course, I gave credit to Louise Hay. But that little phrase has really – kind of guided my life uh, probably about the definitely at least for the last 20 years especially on my journey um overseas and back so yeah it's a very what's, strong voice <laughs>
0: it, it, so when you hear this voice what makes what's dis- the what distinguishes it from i uh, i don't know your imagination or something else what, Yeah, is, you what well, go ahead
1: th- yeah the ding starts with this I was working in upstate New York as a, a teacher and I had this basically it's like a dissatisfaction with life and I think that's where it starts with that's how it started with me anyway like I was not fulfilled and I was in this college relationship that had been going on for 10 years and I had just started a new teaching job at a different school and it was really stressful. And. I think it just starts with that, oh, I don't know if I can see myself in the same situation the rest of my life, you know, and I was 30 at the time, and I really had a hard time picturing myself being in that same relationship, teaching in that same school, and I think I just started asking, okay, universe, is this it, and do I need to make a change, and that's kind of how it all started, so I I would say it starts with a dissatisfaction or just not being fulfilled or a lack of something, and I couldn't even quite put my finger on it really but that's where i started for me
0: a lot of people would call that a midlife crisis but 30 is <laughs> long for that don't you think
1: yes <laughs> yeah
0: but it's interesting because that led you now first of all i have to say that and we're gonna we're gonna detail your story and go through it a little bit but you have incredible intestine intestine intestin- and you got a lot of guts. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Being able to do to do what you did because uh, tell us that you you made the decision that you were going to leave the school and you were also going to leave um, one of the 50 ways to leave your lover and you were going right. to go do that and you were to go overseas where, where did you pick to go overseas
1: well, you know, originally it started with my sister. She was over teaching in Kuwait at the time in the Middle East and um, really was liking it. She had went to a job fair in Washington DC the year prior and she really liked it. So she had been there for a few months and she was sending home these postcards and these like pictures of trips to Dubai and other things that she was doing. And it just sparked something in me. And and I think, and, and I guess eventually when I was questioning, okay, universe, what do you want me to do? Show me some signs if I need to make a change, and lo and behold, an opening came up at her school, and she asked, you know, if you're interested, I can forward your resume on to our Noreen, our director, and and then she'll take it from there. But yeah, I didn't really give it too long of a thought. I'm like, okay, I'm going to send this in. If I get if I get selected, that's great. If not, then it's not for me, you know.
0: Well, and I like to say there are no coincidences, so that. be right. was- that was not just that. That was part of the plan, as it Right.
1: Were.
0: put together by the other side. So, when you got over there and you were teaching over there, uh, what did you like it better over there? Was it different? Did you feel more fulfilled?
1: Yeah, I did. And I mean, I stayed there for thirteen years between Kuwait and Qatar. And the kids are from it was actually international schools, so the kids are. From from over 20 different countries and they're very respectful of teachers I have to say that and I find the parents to be a lot very I shouldn't say more respectful but I find them to be a lot more I think respectful of the profession in general Um, you know and they were just wonderful to work with and it really opened your mind you know, about what's out there in the world. You know, I was living in a culture dominated by a religion that I didn't really know anything about. And we really had to follow the societal norms and the religious norms, um, you know, and especially of the Ramadan and different holidays. So and basically, you know, after, you know, I remember our first week of orientation, the director said, you will follow the rules of this country and the customs. And if you don't like it, you don't have to stay, you know, and we knew that going in, you know, that we would have to do that. But quite frankly, I loved my time there and I love the differences and I loved um, having that different perspective in life. I think I needed it. My, I came from a really small hometown. I think I needed to um, open my eyes a little bit and see some of the world, you know, it, it, it was good for me
0: yeah what did your parents say when you 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 said, (laughs) hey i'm picking up and i'm going i'm going elsewhere
1: well that was part of the inner ding too not to listen to everybody else because i had a lot of teachers coming up to me at school Um, the school that I was leaving in New York to go over there. Are you crazy? What do your parents think? You know, and then my parents, you know, my sister had already been over there. So they were kind of used to it. But then having both their daughters there. Yeah, they were, they were not happy about it. Definitely. I think after over time, they get used to it. But yeah, I mean, I had family members. I mean, pretty much, I think I only had one or two people that were really completely supportive it, it was a, it's it is it's like you know you know it's not like you're going to europe you're going to the middle east and <laughs> yeah
0: well, and and correct me if i'm wrong but now i've never been to the middle east and i've also never been a woman at least in this lifetime <laughs> and, and so i can't imagine what it's like going over to the middle east and being a woman did you have to wear uh the head uh, uh garments and all uh, the hijab?
1: Yeah. now I didn't, not, no, not in Kuwait or Qatar. The only country you really have to do that is Saudi and they actually have international schools where you have to at least wear the black dress, the hijab. Um, But I, you know, I, you know, I I didn't have to do that. We had to wear skirts below the knee and we had to wear, um, you know, our shirts um, below the shoulders, covering the shoulders. But really, I mean, you could wear pants with a short sleeve shirt. I mean, So I guess it wasn't, there wasn't really that many dress code restrictions. If you, um, if I went to the beach and there are beaches in Kuwait, I would go on the women's only day so I could wear my bathing suit, but yeah, you just have to kind of adjust your lifestyle a little bit, you know, have
0: have a woman's only day.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they do.
0: So it's, it's, it's not like uh, it's, there are lots of bars that have got uh, women get in free day. This is different. This is women only day.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I think it's because, you know, they can wear what they want to wear in public um, and not have to worry about wearing their black abaya, you know, and, you know, and their, if maybe, I know the Kuwaiti women would wear the abaya, which is the dress and the hijab is a scarf. So if you have beach day, you can kind of wear what you're going to wear and you don't have to worry about being in front of men. So it gives them the freedom to be able to wear what they want to wear, which I actually liked after a while um, because, you know, it's not very comfortable going to the beach and not being able to wear beach clothing when it's 115 degrees over there <laughs> so it's a little tough so you just go on those days you just have to make adjustments you know and
0: now yeah. what are the difference between american men and middle eastern men is there a <laughs> lot of difference between the two
1: um you know i never really got to know any per se because uh you know they really tend to the men that i knew over there were Fathers of the kids that I taught and they were already in families and they were very polite to me very nice Um, You know, you didn't really see them too much Uh, You know, they would come to conferences and stuff. Like I said, they were very polite There were there would be men that I would meet out like say you would go to starbucks or to the malls or whatever And they would probably keep to themselves um, quite a bit so there really wasn't a lot of interaction between me as an expat and a woman and between the local men there they might follow you around some of them uh, maybe out of curiosity and stare you know um, you know I don't know I remember one time I went to Starbucks and I was re- I was it was on a kind of weekend and I remember going there to do some schoolwork and I'm and Arab man was sitting across from me and he was reading a newspaper and he kept peeking around at me. Uh, and I'm like, well, this is going to be interesting. So, or, you know, I have mean, had some different experiences, but you know, I've had some weird experiences here with guys. So, you know, but like I said, it's just different. I think it's more, more out of curiosity. Yeah. It wasn't anything major.
0: Oh, that's, that, that's good. So you're over there and you're teaching and, and you're settling in and, um, at one point you get married. Is that, did you, who did you marry over there?
1: Well, I, my sister was, um, when I went over there my first year, my sister was finishing up, they have two year contracts. So she was finishing up her second year. So we got to have that time together. She was a middle school French teacher. She went back to Albany, New York after she was done. And the guy that took her place was from Fort St. Um, John, Canada. Uh, and he and I started dating. He took over my sister's job and I, you know, it's like i can't make this stuff up it's crazy I worked so we did, well. it did it we dated for three years and then we ended up getting married and yeah so wonderful person yeah
0: in your life you had a uh, epiphany that sent you by the way we're talking with jennifer benson she's written she's written a book that we're going to talk a little bit more about but there's something that i really wanted to talk to you about and that that is um um you go over there and then at one point in time you decide hey i have an idea let's go on vacation <laughs> and you end up in thailand on vacation and tell us a tell us that story
1: yeah i would love to david and i went to thailand um this you know it was December in 2004 for our vacation. And we'd been there before a few times. Thailand's an easy six hour flight, you know, cheaper um, country to go to. So a lot of teachers go there. So we were in Krabi, which is one of the provinces down south, one of the islands. And basically we woke up late one morning. Thank God that we did. We're usually early risers. The couple of days prior, we had been out kayaking to these little tiny islands out in the ocean but that particular day by the grace of god i guess you could say we woke up late and we hurried down there to the beach um hurried to the beach so we could go kayaking again and basically what happened we were um having breakfast the waves started rolling back out into the water like receding out and david went over to talk to some somebody at the dive shop on the beach so i was sitting there by myself and i'm like something's not right and then You know, I could sense that. I'm like, is there a beached animal? Like, did something happen? Is somebody hurt? But the water just kept receding back. And when I finally looked at the water, you just know what is that? You just have. I didn't have any idea what had happened. And some, I was since I was at a restaurant. There were some Thai waitresses behind me, and they started holding onto each other and they were crying. It's almost like they had this. You know, this premonition that something was wrong as well, but nobody knew, knew what to say or do because we didn't know there had been a tsunami, you know, there had like an earthquake. So people actually started walking toward it. And walking out toward the stranded boats in the sand and walking out toward where the water had gone and i'm like okay i'm curious but i'm definitely not that curious i just had this sense of danger i just knew something was not right but the thai people had never had that before so they didn't know either and as expats we there's a bunch of us on the beach We're, we're all standing there looking at and i have pictures of it on my website standing there just looking at this Finally, this dive instructor came out. What happened is the water receded out. And then the first wave out of three came gushing toward us. And then we kind of figured something was not right. And then a dive instructor was the only one that knew what it was. She came out of her shop and happened to see it. Thank God she did. And she said "The run, run, get out of here. It's a tsunami. You got to get out of here now. Um, You know, and yeah, so we ran for higher ground. And basically we... uh, we, we made it out, but we literally, yeah, we're just outrunning the darn thing, you know?
0: Now, this is, a, for those of you that uh, aren't aware, I believe this is a tsunami that killed a quarter of a million people. Yes, yeah. And it was, it was a, a horrible, horrible time. And and, and you're right, it's for those that, that are on the beach and the water unexpectedly starts to recede and goes back into the ocean um, and there's dry land there. Don't stay there because that's Tommy right. that's about ready to to come in. So you 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 went into high, into higher ground. Were you able to get there before uh, um, the waters caught up to you?
1: Well, yeah, you know, but I knew what was happening. I could hear people screaming behind me and things breaking. I didn't dare turn around. And I I remember like kind of freaking out and telling David, just go on without me. I can't do this because I felt like it was just like one of those nightmares where you feel like no matter what you do, you're going to. I felt like no matter what i was going to do i felt like i could die and i and i just almost was so scared that i couldn't run and david kind of grabbed my hand he said oh no (laughs) get going thank god for david because i think my legs just turned into mush i mean you never know when you're in that situation how your body is going to react and my body did not hold up that well (laughs) kind of let me down um you know but david you know really kind of grabbed my hand and um we just ran up to a, um, a safe place up where our hotel was actually so we kind of knew the pathway up to the hotel our hotel was high up so we were lucky in that regard but and a lot of people did make it up there a lot of people didn't make it up there and they were the ones doing what david and i had been doing kayaking that day that morning or they were out there was a couple big boat excursions that would take you out to see couple little of the little islands um and those people never made it back because it, when the tsunami comes in there's nowhere to go when you're on these little islands um exploring so there were posters all over um crabby with missing people you know that didn't make it out off those boat tours that was one of the biggest um, um i guess the biggest ways i guess that people were killed in the, our particular area was um the people that were missing that were on might have been on those boat tours and stuff but
0: and some of those boats actually uh ended up like on other coasts of other countries uh like 3 or 4 months later um and some ended up in california um and wow. that, and it i can't imagine this kind of describe for us what it's like i i I know (laughs) i know your legs were like it was like like they are in the horror movies and it's always the who falls down and can't get up and 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 so that happened to you but what's it like um i assume all the services were out the tv was out and and the uh cell phones were out so you couldn't really communicate but but in your area how many how many people just how many people died
1: I'm not sure exactly about how many people died. Now, right nearby was Phuket, and Phuket, I know, had a lot, a lot of bodies that um, the people that died. I know they had thousands and thousands, and I don't know the exact number, but I know that it was so bad they had one mass grave over there. And I remember buying a newspaper after it happened, and I still have it. They had one mass grave for all the bodies found on the beach in Phuket which is also southern Thailand. And I know I saw pictures that they had to bring in a lot of dry ice to lay on top of the uh, grave to keep the smell away from the town. I mean, it's a very touristy area, um, you know. So, yeah, I think they, they got hit a lot harder, depending on where we were in Thailand. And then, you know, of course, Shorinka and... Um, in Indonesia were hit even harder than Thailand, I think. So, yeah, I mean, we were lucky. Where we were, though, the land was, um, was landlocked. So you um, it, the beach was not so exposed, I guess I want to say. It was kind of like a little inlet. But some of the areas that were more exposed, like Phuket, and for example, some beaches in Phuket, they were wide open. There's so much massive exposure that I think they had a lot more deaths than, than where we were, I think you now. But yeah, everything was out, the electric was out. Um, we, we barely knew what was happening. The Thai people were walking around with leaf preservers on after that, because they were thinking that they didn't want to be caught up in something, because they were thinking aftershocks. And we heard all these rumors of the massive aftershocks. We stayed up on the hill for hours and hours. And then we couldn't even uh, face it for days. We finally, we, of course, went to our hotel, but we couldn't get a hold of our family to let them know. They didn't know if we were alive or not. Um, you know, the boats were all destroyed. Those are the little wooden boats with the car motor on the back, you know. Um, they were all up in the trees and they were all destroyed. So people just literally, we went down to survey the damage, you know, later, I think the next day. And people are just standing on the beach, wanting out the heck out of there, and they were waiting for boats and waiting and waiting. And I think like within a day or two, they were able to get small group back over to the mainland, to get to the airport. Yeah, so we ended up staying a little bit longer than that because it was a vacation. We had um, you know, and he um, didn't want to deal with the craziness of trying to get out. So we stayed till the end of the week, and then we were able to get back to Bangkok again. But yeah
0: wow that now that's a story of a lifetime it's not a story a good story by any means but it's one of the so so at what point in all of this did your inner ding say get the hell out of here
1: Yeah, (laughs) well, I think it was when the the dive instructor came out and I saw the look on her face. I think if, of course, then she said it out, um, you know, and I think, you know, and then part of two, it was not only that, like I knew I had to run to get to safety there was a part of me that was questioning even a little bit at the time. I had been overseas for a couple of years and I was thinking, oh my gosh, this way of living could be crazy. Am I, am I sure I want to keep doing this? So yeah, the inner ding voice just kind of just keeps popping in all the time. You know, um, you know, I, I thought I was only going to go over there for a couple of years and no. And then, yeah, the, and then yeah we finally went to bangkok but you know and the inner ding voice kicked in again um and, and in a way it was like i needed to protect myself i stayed in the hotel and it was time to go back to kuwait i didn't like to go out too much i think it was a little bit of after shock trauma type thing that went on so yeah i mean yeah we were just it was just crazy you know but.
0: did you guys or anybody else that you knew did, were there people that 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 disappeared that you knew that never came back?
1: Well, you know, we had a friend, we didn't have anything like that, but we had a friend that was in Sri Lanka and, you know, that little Island down below India. And he was in the um, second story. Um, and they got hit a lot harder than we did. He would, he told, he wrote us days later and asked if we were okay. And David was asking him, he said, no joke. He goes, I was sleeping. I woke up and I had water on the floor of my hotel room. He goes, and I was on the second floor. Oh wow! Yeah, and they had a they had a boat there. Luckily, were able to get him out. But I think they woke him up and got him out. But yeah, it was it came in so fast. It wasn't like oh uh, you know he didn't even know about it. He slept in late. This not happened like eight in the morning. So you know this guy was a late sleeper, and he's like, I woke up, and yeah, my things are floating in my room. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> My god.
0: That's a hell of a dream right there.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, so so that now did that in how did that affect you and affect your life overall?
1: Well, you know, I think it, you look back on those things in your life, we had a little bit of the survivor's guilt. You know, like uh, we went back to Kuwait and we were actually on a TV show in Kuwait. One of David, stu- David taught high school math. One of his students' fathers, of course, owned a TV show in Kuwait. And We went on there and he asked us about survivor's guilt. And, you know, and I didn't really think about it until then. I hadn't really heard of it because I was never really in disaster like that before. But I had that. I had a little bit of the survivor's guilt. Like, why did I live not... You know, you think about why was I meant to live? What was my, you know, what was the purpose of that? And, well, one of the biggest things I realized is that, okay, after something like that, I'm pretty sure that I can handle anything life throws at me, you know, and it made me quite strong in that regard. I'm like, okay, if I can handle this, which I did, and David did, I think we can handle just about anything that comes along our way, you know, it's not, <laughs> I think it just shows you how resilient you are and you can get over it. And we've gone back to Thailand many times since then. I didn't think I'd ever go back because I was so scared from it, but, and that's another way of healing. is like, you, you don't, these type of things, you just don't, you don't, they don't keep you down. You know, you have this survivor spirit. We all have it. And and you know it makes you stronger you're like okay i got through that wow that was awesome i'm glad i got through it you know that's awesome that i survived i mean but oh
0: yeah, yeah. well it was quite a quite an, an episode for you and so you went back to teaching and you how long did you stay in kuwait from there
1: well i stayed six more years i was there for eight years total and eventually, you know, teachers tend not to stay in Kuwait too long. The salary is not quite as high as some of the other countries. And, you know, and teachers always dream of, you know, the next best, greatest thing. So a lot of them want to go to China, Japan, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of some other places, um, Singapore, Europe, you know, it's kind of a, it was a stepping Point, you know for a lot of teachers and they're like okay I'm done my two years I'm getting out of here where Dave and I actually stayed eight we enjoyed our time there and stuff so um, and then we it was time to move on I think we had been there long enough and we ended up transferring down into Qatar and I worked at a military boy school there for my first year and it was basically a boy a, a, a school I call it a naughty boy school I shouldn't call it that but <laughs> It's a place where parents go to send their boys to kind of get them sorted out a little bit. <laughs> so that was in grade six through six through 12. And it was, like I said, they, they stayed there during the week, um, run like a military type school, and then they would go home on the weekend. But Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. So, so when did the uh, uh, ding come back that decided that it was time for you to come home?
1: it's a good question. <laughs> well, I know like we, that first year, that school was really tough. The boys were a little bit challenging for me and being a woman in Qatar, I found at times was even harder than I found it to be in Kuwait. Kuwait's been established a lot longer and it seemed like there was just more, um, I don't know, the, the attitude toward women was a little bit more relaxed where in Qatar I found it a little bit more traditional and, I don't know. I think, you know, the boys were a challenge to teach and I had a couple bad experiences there. And one time I was out running and I wore complete covered up pants, sweatpants, you know, shirt, long sleeve shirt. And I was on my way back. We had a compound with a gate. <laughs> Excuse me. And some boys started. They saw me on their bicycles. They're older boys in their teens, and I saw them, and I'm like, "Oh, this is going to be trouble." And I've never had this happen my whole time in the Middle East, but they chased after me. And luckily I got back to my compound and I'm banging on the big door. They're like one story high, these big doors to get into where I live. And the guard wasn't there. I think he was in the bathroom. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I'm banging and banging and banging these doors and they caught up with me and they were calling me kind of some nasty little names and some grabbing at me and, and, you know, and it, it it was not one of my best days there. And the guy finally came in and opened the door and I got in there. But I think you have a little bit of these moments. Um, And, you know, I think a week later, it was my 40th birthday and I was sitting in an Indian restaurant over there and I'm like, all right, I'm turning 40. Now's the time. Do I want to keep doing this or not? Do I want to keep staying overseas? You know, um, you know, now I'm married to David. I kind of felt a little stuck. Um, I felt like David wanted to be here overseas forever, make a career out of it. And I thought I did eight years ago, but then eight years goes by. And, you know, so the ding started kicking at that at that restaurant that night when I turned 40. It really kicked in pretty loud.
0: So it's time to move back. And, uh, and did you resume teaching back here? What did you do?
1: Well, I actually stayed in Qatar four more years first because I really wanted to make sure it wasn't just that one incident of getting grabbed or it wasn't just my 40th birthday. Like, you know, I wanted to make sure. So I stayed four more years and, and it was, it was hard. Um, it was just, obviously it was very clear to me that I need to move home. And I finally made that decision to come home. And unfortunately David wanted to stay overseas and I wanted to come home. And I, you know, like I said, it was kind of got to the point where it was either he or I, um, you know, and I came home and he's like, okay, well, if it's meant to be, we'll work it out. And yeah, four years later, we got divorced. Unfortunately, he's in the Philippines now and he bought a house and he's really happy and, and happy for him. And I'm really happy. So it's sad in a way, but it's, you know, we kind of both had to do what we had to do. Unfortunately,
0: you know, sometimes when you're in the course of your life, People come into it and then they go out of it, and there's a reason why right. that, that, that happens. And uh, it, it it'd be nice to assume that we're going to be married, you know, to the same person for the, the our whole lives. But a lot of times, people change and circumstances change, and <laughs> and and in order to follow your ding, I like that. You know, right. in order to follow your passion, you've got to live in a way that that makes you happy.
1: You do. And you got to be true to yourself, mm-hmm. you know, And toward the end, David didn't really like the person I was becoming. He's like, you are nothing like the person I married. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I know I'm, I became, I was just, and I remember him saying a lot of times David would say, um, you can be happy anywhere, John, if you really put your mind to it. And I tried, and I did that for, like I said, I was overseas 13 years and I think you can only do that though for so long. And eventually I had to come to terms with making that choice to go home, but I didn't want to make the choice cause I knew it would, he would, he and I wouldn't survive it. So I put it off as long as I could. And yeah. And so those, when he says that
0: you changed a lot in the, in those, in those years, uh, how did you change?
1: Well, I, I wasn't interested in going out with friends. I mean, everything about my life overseas really revolved around work. Like, you work at an international school. Your friends are from the international school. You know, my husband, David, was he worked at the same school as me in the same department. Um, you know, and then I worked out. I did exercise. That was at school. <laughs> um, you know, and... Other than that, you know, I I think I became a lot more. I stayed home a lot more. I wasn't as vibrant. I didn't get associate with friends as much. I think I kind of fell into that depression where I just sat around the, at the house and sat around on the couch, and I just wasn't as happy. I wasn't as joyful, um, you know, and just became a lot more. There's a few things that happened over there that kind of put a little bit of fear in me. And I was also really homesick and talked about, you know, missing things that happened with my mom and dad. They were getting to be in towards 70 and I'm like, I felt like there's just this clock ticking that I, I felt like I needed to get home and I didn't know why, but I needed to get back home and there was this urgency. And that's part of the inner ding too, is that you start feeling this urgency that I'm either missing out on something or something's gonna happen down the road and I need to be home. And and that kind of did happen. And I finally went to the, um, I was gonna go to the psychi- psychologist, I guess in um, Qatar to get actually some type of depression medicine because I was so depressed at the time. And I was really t- idea of making the choice to go home and he wouldn't give it to me he's like you need to make this choice I'm going to give you the choice right now Jennifer do you want I'm giving you the the choice to go home can you make this choice I'm giving you permission and I'm Uh, like okay yeah he gave me the permission to make the choice it was something I could never do for myself and I started crying I'm like thank you I was I think I was just looking for somebody to say it's okay to go home if you want to go home you know
0: well yeah i mean because your whole life well for, first of all i can't imagine being chased by a bunch of teenage kids and and stuff and also you don't know anytime you would leave the house and leave the compound as it were which was safe right uh, leave the compound then you don't know what's going to be what's going to be out there for you and it, it, it can be a very dangerous place
1: And it was harder for, I shouldn't say, but it was a little bit harder for a woman, you know, being a woman, because with David, he could go out anywhere, you know, and, you know, I think it would be safer for him, whereas with women, you know, you do have to really think twice about pretty much everything you do outside your compound and outside the school. So between home and school, there's not much of a life um, you know, you can take a, or you have a cab take you to the mall and pick you up, but that's really about the extent of it. And that gets old after a while. So there's no regrets. It was a hard decision, but it was the best decision I ever made. I guess you can say that.
0: It was your inner ding following, yeah. following that again. That's and right. that's, that's, that's led you. So now, so now you're back in the States now and, and you're, uh, what are you, what are you doing now?
1: Well, I'm in, I'm still in English as a second language teacher. That's what I was doing overseas. So, so I get to work with all the great, you know, kiddos that come from different countries into New York. Uh, you know, and they all have various levels of English, and I get to work with all different levels, K through twelve. So I'm doing that. My book, I, I started writing a book again. And once I came home, I built my foundation again. I was around family and nature, and I started feeling better about myself and. I started writing, I looked at my old journals from over there, and the few that I did have, and I started writing, and then one thing led to another, and three years later, I wrote my memoirs about all my experiences over there, and kind of what happened, what life was like as an expat and a woman, and coming back home again.
0: What would you like people to get out of the book when they read it?
1: I think the biggest thing about it, you know, a book always has like an arc, you know, like a beginning, a middle and an end. And I think my biggest thing is I want people to know, to to listen to that inner ding voice. And also another thing, you know, my book is about how I made that decision to go overseas, what life was like for 13 years and how I made that big decision to come home, you know, and I was like 45 at the time. But, you know, the funny thing about life, I think that I want people to know as well is that sometimes life has such bigger plans for us than what we have like I never would have thought I would go to the Middle East not in my college years not in my 20s I that never was a plan I thought I was going to get married my father always harped on me you're going to get find your guy in college you're going to get married you're going to have kids you're going to have a nice house it just never happened for me and it was okay and I'm glad it didn't happen and didn't work out with that first boyfriend there because Um, the universe had these huge different plans for me and I'm so glad I listened to that ding and took the leap, looked for the signs that it was, yes, I was meant to go. And the same thing happened again when I was ready to come back home again. I think listening to the inner voice, finding times that during the day that are quiet where you can hear it and look for the green lights, ask for the signs and look for the green lights. Look for things lining up. And also, you'll know that you know. I think it's right when you're excited about it, and it's something that drives your curiosity. And you know, like take a chance. Look for the signs and take the leap. You know.
0: You know, there's some people that are that are real happy in in um, in 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 the picket fence and the house and the two kids and the and the dog and the cat and the, and the husband. Yeah. That, and to live their whole life that way, but for somebody like, I'm, I'm, I'm still, the school is still out on whether or not that's the best way to approach life, uh, because we're here for such a short time, and we have the opportunity to learn so much, and to do so much, and to experience so much. Um, you, I, Looking back on it, would you change anything?
1: I wouldn't. I know. And sometimes we want to know how life is going to turn out. Oh my God, I can't take this risk because I I need to know how it's all going to play out steps A through Z. And you don't need to know that. The only thing that I I knew was that I was going to take Two years and go abroad. I even had a a leave from my school. If it didn't work out, they were going to take me back. And I didn't have to have it all played out. But if I had known up front that, you know, that I would meet David and I would get divorced and I had to deal with tough decisions down the road, I might not have gone. You know, so it's like it's good that you don't know. It's good that you don't have it all figured out because you only have to worry about like this moment, you know, and yeah, and the white picket fence and the house and everything. It just wasn't in the cards for me this lifetime around. I always say in all my past lives, I'd raised a bunch of kids, and I think this time I only wanted to teach them. That's what I always tell people. (laughs) I already raised truckloads of kids, I feel like, you know, and I love teaching. You know, and it's good that David and I didn't have kids because it would have made it harder to come home. I think I would have been in the Philippines right now raising kids. My my parents are seventy five, and I I think I would have been very unhappy. And you know, and I'm I'm glad that in a way that that didn't didn't happen because it gave me the freedom to be authentic and to come home and to be true to myself and to be with my family. You know and.
0: And to, and, to, and to write a beautiful book, the title of the book again is?
1: Uh, beautiful Possibilities, yeah.
0: and Which is, which is what it is, is Beautiful Possibilities. And when, when is that going to be published?
1: Well, I'm looking at toward the latter part of this year. Yeah. And right now I, I have a website. I'm on Facebook, so yeah. so
0: What's your website?
1: So it's uh, www.jenniferbensonauthor.com.
0: And they can go there and find out more about who you really are.
1: That's right.
0: (laughs) Is is the ding still happening for you? And where do you see yourself going in the future?
1: The ding is still happening. You know, I'm not sure what's going to happen with my career. If I were to teach the rest of my life, I'd be fine with it. But I'm going to wait and see how what happens with this memoir. I would love to do speaking engagements and talks about, especially with divorced women, about starting over again. Because you know, four years later, David asked for a divorce. We, we saw each other once in a while in the summers, never made it, never worked out. And, you know, I think I went and signed my divorce papers. I think it was January, 2019. And I was starting to feel good about myself. It was sad, but I was like, okay, I'm fine being alone the rest of my life. The next month I met somebody at the gym. Surprise. Yep, surprise. But it was when I was done with David. I would signed off on that completely. I was feeling good about myself, and I was at peace with myself, and I was at peace with being alone. And wouldn't you know it, you know, and we're still together, and I don't know what's what, what happened with us, but, yeah, you know, so we'll see what happens, but the I, thing's still on.
0: <laughs> that's it. I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you just take take life day by day, And look for the signs yes there are always signs and and really think about how you would like to impact the world and how you would like to really experience the world and experience other people day by day wonderful things happen for you yes even even when they appear not to be so wonderful uh, they can end up being wonderful
1: Right. I mean, when David asked for a divorce, it could have been, oh, well, you know, I mean, and I could have, it could have crumbled me. I, you know, I, I'll i never date again, I'll, you know, and I would have been really hard on myself. And as it was, I had some guilt about leaving, you know, him over there, but, but I had been working on myself every day. Like you said, you take it day by day. And I was at a place where, all right, I'm, I'm lonely at times, but I'm alone and I'm okay. And I actually enjoy it. Um, you know, and I had my family, I had my nature, I had my writing, I had a great job. I had a lot of, I had, I still have so many wonderful things in my life with or without a guy, you know, and luckily the guy that I'm dating now, he's, he's the same way. He's, we're a part of each other's life, but we're not the whole thing. You know, we have our hobbies, we, you know, we do things together and so it's nice, you know,
0: one of of the things that I think is important to share is it's, it's, um, you cannot let somebody else define you. No. You have to define yourself and who you are. Yes. And, and what you want to do. And I, I want to thank you for being on this podcast because this is uh, 2021. My podcast is changing. It is. It's uh, changing and it's growing exponentially in in really unique ways, and it's all by design of somebody else. I'm just putting it out there and having people like you on and uh, and other folks. But um, it's 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 growing, and and, and people are the, people are resonating with the message that uh, we need to get rid of hate, division, and fear.
1: I love it. I think it's wonderful.
0: And if we can do that and we can recognize that we're all one and yeah. we're all together and we're all in this together then we can we can start to make the changes that we're going to have to make if we as as a human race are going to make it.
1: Yes, definitely. That was one thing I saw when I was in the Middle East that we're all the same really. Even though we have different tastes and different preferences, we all want the same things, you know. And I, there's more than one way to do something. There's more than one way to you know to practice a religion there's more than one way to you know live in different you know your housing the way you dress the way i mean it's all different ways but we all, all we all want the same things you know and that's what really opened my eyes over there especially with the kids and the way they i learned a lot from them so i'm so glad i came home with that different perspective yeah
0: well you've learned so much and and uh, i suspect that over time you're going to become a teacher you already are a teacher, but you're gonna become a teacher of life. More, oh, love so, it. more so than than an English teacher. I mean I could t- learn I could benefit by taking English, uh, which could be my second language, but I would be <laughs> but but I no, I, I really think that you're gonna be a teacher of life because you've experienced a lot and uh um you've got a great smile on your face. You're, oh, thank
1: you. Life
0: every day. <laughs> and uh it's it's great even though uh, this podcast has had its uh technical challenges with its, <laughs> it, but it's you it's cleared up cleared up nicely now and it it's uh it's great it's and um as I like to say before we go, is there anything else that you'd like to tell the audience something from your heart?
1: Oh, I just think I believe in you. I believe that you can do anything that you really want to do. Just ask for some signs, ask for some guidance and know that you can do it. And just, you know, allow, allow yourself to be led, you know, and, and, uh, and you'll get there, you know, I think, and, and truly, truly find ways to love yourself every day because you're worth it. And we all are, you know, it starts with that, you know.
0: That is so cool. That is so. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad you said that because um, I I started this podcast a year and a half ago. I I did this. I did a show called Positive Talk years ago, and then uh, um, I was working and I had to work because I couldn't. I needed to, you know, like I don't know, eat. And uh, so I, I I was a uh, metro bus driver. So I drove buses around for eleven years. Um. But my my goal has always been, my passion has always been doing exactly this, talking to people like you. And so last February, just about a year ago now, I moved into a new place, promptly fell and and, uh, ruptured my rotator cuff. Oh, no. Had to have surgery on that. And then while I was healing from that, my son got a puppy. And so I was babysitting the puppy and the puppy got tangled up with my feet and I fell over and... uh, and oh. ripped up my other arm.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> so I am oh. there
0: on the floor going and I became the epitome of I've fallen and I can't get up. Yeah. Because I couldn't get up.
1: <laughs> oh, that's terrible. It's too but, bad. But
0: the, the the reality is, is that the universe said Okay, he's going to continue to work unless we do this for him. So we're going to make it so he can't work anymore, so that I can do what I'm called to do, which is this.
1: I'm gl- I'm glad it worked out. I really am. I think it's wonderful. I it, really do.
0: It is great fun having you here, and uh, and I applaud you and I applaud your spirit. It's it's it really is apparent that you understand who you are and where you're going, and you're allowing. The universe to take you so that you can do what you need to do
1: yeah always on to bigger and better things i think that's what the universe does for us i do if, it has our back
0: it it does and if we could, if we could all recognize that then life would be a completely different place for all of us
1: i know yep.
0: so we've been we've been talking with uh, uh jennifer benson and give us your website again yeah
1: Um, hello everybody. I'd love for you to look at my website if you'd like. It's www.jenniferbensonauthor.com. And the same thing for my Facebook, Jennifer Benson Author. Yeah.
0: It's awesome. Will you come back?
1: i would love to anytime i would love to come back talk more ding stuff
0: <laughs> well, we're happy for our ding so yeah
1: i really am
0: <laughs> it's it great fun talking to you i, I just uh, you, you, you people like you fill my soul
1: oh i'm so glad i likewise i'm so honored to be on here and thank you for picking me i'm really glad thank you
0: you just i didn't do it the universe did
1: it's true <laughs> thank you universe well
0: <laughs> exactly. so I, again i want to thank you very much for being here and and it's it's just it's just been a joy and, and this podcast will go up on youtube and uh, my independence report and it will get played because you're you're such a dynamic soul and oh thank you and uh, I'm, I'm glad you found, not only have you found uh, um, happiness in love and in work and in what you're doing next, and, uh, and you strike me as somebody that just says, okay, universe, what's next?
1: That's right. <laughs> I, the universe has my back. I finally figured it out. I just turned 50 this year. So I, after 50 years, I finally figured that out. That's so a good feeling. <laughs> it
0: takes time sometimes but yeah. we get it together
1: that's so, right
0: congratulations i'm, I'm, thank you. <laughs> I'm really proud of you and and uh, i'm sure i'm sure your fella is also uh very appreciative of who you are
1: yeah he's a great guy he is good thank you
0: good <laughs> all righty well thank you very much thank you for listening to my independence report this is a show that we're doing from noon monday through friday and then we're doing auxiliary podcasts i'm doing like eight or nine a week now i i just nice. love it so it's great it's great fun so uh and we've got some real good people um coming on in the near future so uh, it, it's gonna it's it's just it's just awesome but you are a great way to kick it off and i appreciate
1: oh, it oh yay thank you thank you everybody <laughs> thank
0: you, everybody and uh with that i hope everybody
1: bye